Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Um, I never realized that I had another rapper to add to my faves list. Are you sure about that? Yeah, just kidding. Um, but you guys, (laughs) you're not ready. No. For the lyrical stylings. Buffoonery. Yeah. Of Paul Bernardo. Yeah. That's yuck. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So hold on, hold on to your butts for that one. Yeah, you're going to want to stay till the very, very end. Very, very sure. end. Yeah. Um, before we get back into part two of the shit show that is Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka, we do have some trigger warnings and we do want to remind you about our Patreon. If you're listening to this right after you listen to episode one, like right when one came out, then you're already a patron. Yep. You already know it. Yeah. So you can just cover your ears for a second. You don't even have to listen to it. <laughs> You know, but if you're not, what you could have done and what you can do in the future is you can join the Patreon and that would be at the $3 level. Mm -hmm. You can get part two of any two-part episode immediately after you listen to part one. Yep. And they're ad-free. Oh my gosh. All ad-free. If you are not a fan of ads, $3 a month is where you want to be. Oh yeah. Now, if you want bonus episodes, you want to be $10 a month. Because oh. then you're going to get three episodes a week. It's unheard of. It's un- it really is unheard of, I feel like. Well, no, I'm, not I'm just serious. three episodes, four, because we also do our weekly little catch-up where we just kind of bullshit around and talk about our personal lives. Absolutely. Yep. So you get that. You get our murder mixtape every week, which is a whole other bonus case. You get our Doc Jam episode, which is episode-by-episode coverage of docu-series, true crime docu-series, plus your episodes. Mm-hmm. Plus ad free. I mean, what's more to want there? I don't, what more could you ask for? Yeah. You're going to want to check out patreon.com slash killer queens pod. Plus we got tons of episodes. Every episode we've ever put out before now, depending on your level membership, you get immediate access to it, to binge. I mean, you could get access to like over, I mean, I think it's like around 500 posts right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got a lot of stuff back there. Craziness. I know. But. If that's not enough for you, we also have a live show every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central on Spotify Green Room, and it is called True Crime Rewind. So that's mm-hmm. what you would search for in the Spotify Green Room app. And we talk about different cases every week, but you can join in on the conversation. So all you have to do is request to speak, 
We let you up and you can talk to us in real time, one-on-one. It's really, really fun. Oh my gosh. We love talking to you guys. We get to, we get to like talk to so many fun people. It's amazing. I know. So definitely check that out. Absolutely. And I do think that at this point we're going to have to talk about trigger warnings. And there's, there are, they are numerous. They are many. We've got trigger warnings for sexual assault, rape, abusive relationship, violence, drugging, kidnapping, murder, dismemberment, pedophilia. There was a couple- Animal cruelty. Animal cruelty and- Self-harm. Self-harm. Yes. So, and there's probably more guys. I mean, honestly, gosh. Yeah, this is just such a, it's a gruesome, awful case that we're covering. So it is. So buckle up, get your windows open. All your shit's about to go out. It is time for the KQ Defenestration Nation. (laughs) Thank you, Marielle. Wow. Yeah. She's a smart lady. I like it. Yep. Okay. I love Mark's entire recap of episode Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. It reads, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka are pieces of shit. Yes, that's all Done. we need to know at this point. Done. I mean, that could have been episode one. Yeah, exactly. Essentially, yeah. Well, we're overachievers because we just gave you part one again. Oh my gosh. Two episodes and, and one, dudes. I know. <sighs> Should we talk about poor Tammy Hamolka? Oh gosh. Yes. Okay. Okay. On December 23rd, 1990, the Homolka family was having a Christmas party, and the whole gang was there, including their weekend son, Paul Bernardo. Paul Barfo. Whoa. (laughs) That's not a good one, but... No. But barf. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. By this time, Carla was well aware that Paul was the Scarborough rapist and encouraged his actions. And a few months prior to the Christmas party, Carla told Paul that she was going to give him Tammy's virginity as a gift. Uh, is your window open? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you're be. just, you're very lucky that we record remotely because your ass would be right out there. Ta- <laughs> yeet, yeet you right out the window. I'd like to see you try. I could yeet your ass. <laughs> well, I mean, you'd have that like mom with a baby trapped under a car <laughs> strength. You know That's what I mean? true. Like, yeah. But with this, you have to. I know. Yeah. I cannot believe that this is real life. Um, So Paul had grown more and more infatuated with Tammy, going as far as to have Carla pretend to be Tammy whenever they had sex. I, okay, again, I'm very sorry. But if I'm dating somebody and they're like, pretend to be your sister while we bang, Mm -mm. excuse me, sir? And not only that, I mean, that's bad enough. Don't get me wrong, but it's your underage. Yeah, underage. Like, you are a pedophile, you piece mm. of shit. Oh, yeah. What is happening? I don't even. No desire or need in Carla at all to protect her younger sister. No. And there was a time when we were little that mom and dad put this like little bitty kind of fence thing around our like swing set so they could go in the garden, you know, and they were like gardening because we had a big garden and we were just playing on swing set. But, you know, mom and dad were like, got to keep them in one area, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're going to close the gate and I'm what, like four Mm -hmm. and you're like two. And I, what did I say? 
run for it, Tori. I was run like, for your life. <laughs> yes. I was like trying to hold it open so Tori could, at least Tori could save herself. You yes, know what I she mean? was helping like, me escape. <laughs> <laughs> and there was no threat. We there just was no didn't want to be in the fence anymore. <laughs> no, I didn't want to be contained. I didn't want Tori to be contained. But by God, if it was between me and her, I was going to give up my own life. <laughs> And then flash forward five years and Torella ran my ass over. Well, you were too slow, first of all. <laughs> you got to speed up. With her new dirty dancing bicycle. So <laughs> I don't I don't think I was really well versed in stopping on my own yet. But anyway, it's just, you know, as especially as an older sister, I feel like there is that, you know, that Innate like drive of, yeah, yeah. to like protect your younger siblings and uh, Fucking hate her, man. Mm-hmm. As we all should. Ugh. So at one point in July of 1990, Carla had taken some Valium from a veterinary clinic she was working at. And the couple took those, put them in a spaghetti dinner they had made for Tammy. And after eating, Tammy passed out. Paul wasted absolutely no time. He moved Tammy and began videotaping her as she passed out. Mm. Within about a minute of him starting to tape, though, Tammy began to stir and wake up. So... That happened, and now, unfortunately, we have to get back to the Christmas party. The Homolkas had told 15-year-old Tammy that she could have some drinks since she was home and with family. It's like Mean Girls, like, as long as you do it in the house. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Just to be safe, you know, let her have a taste of it. But, you know, and I think that they even said, like, let's not get crazy. You can have a few. Yeah, one or two. Yeah. And just, you know, enjoy the night, but don't don't get wild. Yeah. And according to Paul and Carla, the three of them all sat around and had drinks together. Then Paul and Carla went to sleep after moving Tammy to her own bed. But later that night, they discovered that after they had laid Tammy down, she vomited and choked on it. They attempted to resuscitate her and called an ambulance. But unfortunately, nothing could be done. And Tammy was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital. Hmm. When Paul told the police that he was unsuccessful, or had unsuccessfully tried to revive Tammy, the investigators noticed that there was a burn mark on Tammy's face. And Paul and Carla said that it was a rug burn when she got, that she had gotten when they helped her into the bed. And Tammy's death was ruled an accident. What was their reasoning for realizing that she had vomited and choked on it? Like, Later that night, they discovered that after they had laid Tammy down, because they said they went to bed. Right. So they should be sleeping until the morning, and maybe that's when they would have seen And her. that's when somebody would find her. Yeah. But they're going to get back up after going to sleep to check on her or mm. something? Like, that doesn't make any sense. That's suspicious. Right. Well, yeah. Of course, it is. the whole thing is suspicious. But yeah, I love that point that you brought up because, yeah, absolutely. Why would they have been checking on her Yeah, if they had no reason to check on her? Exactly. Okay. So here's... I feel like it's like Clue, right? The movie. Like, here's what really happened. Like, it could have happened this way. It could have happened that way. But here's what actually happened that night. Exactly. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.
In the months after their failed attempt to drug Tammy, they decided that they needed something stronger to incapacitate Tammy. And that's when Carla stole some halothane and halcyon at different times from the vet clinic that she worked at. And halothane is a general inhalation anesthetic used for induction and maintenance of general anesthesia. And halcyon is a benzodiazepine that is used short-term, seven to 10 days to treat insomnia to help people fall asleep faster. So the night of their family Christmas party, when Tammy was allowed to have a few drinks, Carla and Paul had spiked her drinks with the halcyon after everyone else had gone to bed. And it was just the three of them. And within a short time, Tammy had completely passed out. The couple used a rag soaked with halothane to keep her unconscious. Jeez. I don't know what you need to get ready for exactly. Throwing shit out, vomiting. I don't know. What, however, this makes you feel. I'm so sorry, but it, here's, here's what went on after that. They then undressed Tammy. Carla placed the soaked rag on Tammy's face as they filmed themselves raping her in the basement while the Hamoka parents and their sister Lori slept upstairs. And as this was happening, Tammy began to vomit and started to choke on it. They tried to revive her and called an ambulance, but not before they hit all of the evidence, redressed Tammy in her clothes. And once the paramedic arrived, or paramedics arrived, They rushed her to the hospital where she was later pronounced dead. And the quote-unquote rug burn that they found on her face was from the rag soaked in halothane, which caused a chemical burn. Yeah, because like halothane, you're only supposed to put, I guess, close to somebody. And when she talks to the police, she says, oh, it was just, you know, it was this far, far away, far away. But it's actually physically touching her skin. Well, they laid the rag directly on her face. Yeah. And she knew that that is lethal. She Mm -hmm. knew that when she did it. Right. Three weeks after Tammy's death, Paul and Carla filmed what they called, quote unquote, the fireside chat in the family home. And this is disgusting. Mm -hmm. The filming started in the basement rec room, but eventually moved upstairs to Tammy's room. And on the tape, at one point, Carla said that she enjoyed watching Paul rape her unconscious sister and that she would leave her a rose at her grave. When they were in Tammy's room, Carla dressed up in Tammy's clothes and began to act like her sister, and the couple had sex on Tammy's bed. What is happening? And she she literally, she did her hair like Tammy did. Mm-hmm. Like, she her talked ponytail like the way Tammy. she did. She talked mm-hmm. like Tammy. Hi, Paul. Ugh. Yeah. It's so, uh That's disgusting. Inconscionable. Yes. Some people have speculated that Carla purposefully gave Tammy a lethal amount of drugs to cause an overdose, and they theorized that she was so jealous of Paul's attraction and affection towards Tammy that she wanted to remove her from the situation altogether. I think she did. I Because she fucking knew not to touch her with that rag. She knew that. Yeah. She wanted to get rid of her. I mean, yeah. This was, to me, this was not an accident. No. No, not at all. Well, and- if we're talking, I, I understand that a lot of it, all of it was premeditated because she was stealing these drugs from her work specifically for this purpose. But I don't think that the mm-hmm. act of killing her was an accident. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's just, it's, I just, oh, I cannot believe it. So Tammy was 15 years old when she was murdered and she was known in the community as being excellent at pretty much every sport she tried from track and field to soccer with soccer being her favorite. She was in the 10th grade at Winston Churchill secondary school. And in 1993, her body was exhumed when the case was reopened. Inside the casket was a wedding invitation to Paul and Carla's wedding and notes from the couple. (laughs) When Tammy was reburied, all of those things were removed at the request of the Hamulka family. And their wedding was like 
a month after she died or something, right? It was not very long after she died. Yeah, it may not have even been a month. I can't remember, but it was very, well, actually, very close. I think it was like six months after. Oh, was it? Okay. But I know it was really close and people thought that was weird and they were like, well, the show must go on basically. Exactly. Yeah, Paul for sure. And I'm sure Carla too, but at this point, nobody knows that. You know what I mean? Like I think everybody after looking at everything, they were like, wow. I mean, Paul was very much like, oh, well, you know, we've grieved enough. We have to move on. Mm -hmm. And Carla played the, oh, I'm so sad that my sister passed away card. Jeez. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Jane Doe. Back when Carla worked at the pet store, there was a volunteer who would come in occasionally and help out. She was around 15 years old at the time that she first met Carla, who was at that time 21. Initially, Jane said that it was just like your average friendship, but it escalated. And eventually, Jane grew to look at Carla as like the older sister I never had, which was exactly when Carla and Paul moved in. And again, Carla is very disarming. Mm -hmm. She's bubbly. She's, you know, like the girl next door or whatever. Yeah. Dare I say a sociopath? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And I think that getting close to Carla, even though she thought, oh my gosh, this is like the big sister I've never had. It's a dangerous place to be. A hundred percent. Yeah. Jane grew so close to Carla and Paul that she was invited to Carla's wedding shower, the wedding, and the reception. And she was thrilled by all the attention that she was given by the couple. So when Carla invited her over one day to hang out, she thought nothing of it. While at the Bernardo's home, they began to drink, and Jane drank enough peach snops to make herself sick. When she went back home later that day, she told her mother that she had the flu and slept it off. From the get-go, Jane's mom did not like the relationship that Carla and Paul had with her daughter, and rightfully so. She would protest them hanging out, but as teenagers do, she found a way. After the schnapps incident, Jane became a staple at Carla and Paul's, going over there almost every weekend. In a 1991 letter, Jane described Carla and Paul as, quote, the perfect couple, and she hoped she could find a guy like Paul one day, good-looking, sweet, and caring. As Jane began going to their house more and more, though, the relationship between her and the couple turned sexual. Jane said that Paul would, quote, take me to the bedroom and say he wanted me to perform oral sex on him because if I didn't keep him happy, Carla wouldn't be happy, and I wanted to keep Carla happy. They are just, I don't, I don't have a word. I don't have one. Paul would also try to force Jane to have sex, which she refused because she was a virgin, and she thought it was weird since Paul and Carla were married. Paul then made Jane promise that when she was ready to have sex, he would be the first guy she slept with. It's disgusting. Yeah. When Paul was put on trial, Jane was called in to testify, and she was 19 at the time. And fearing that someone would identify her, they cleared the courtroom of everyone, which is actually, I'm actually really impressed that they did that. I know. I'm so glad that they did too, because she was a child when Mm -hmm. all of this had happened. And she needs to be able to keep her identity disclosed As long as she wants to. This is her story to tell. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you think about like that. I think it was what an episode of Trial by Media where Mm -hmm. that woman was, it was in New England somewhere, right? And she was raped in that pub by like, oh my gosh, so many, so many people. Mm -hmm. And they were supposed to keep her name completely out of it. And then in the freaking the hearing or the trial was televised mm-hmm. and the first thing they do is ask you to like say your name and spell it and so then everybody has it right like, and then she ended up dying by suicide because she couldn't handle the scrutiny that she was under so horrible mm-hmm. you have to protect these victims you have to i know so they clear the courtroom and then she's questioned about her relationship with paul and carla the following event occurred about three weeks before carla and paul were married 
She said that in June of 1991, Carla invited Jane to go out with her for a girl's night. After they spent the night shopping and eating dinner together, Carla brought Jane back to her house where she gave her some alcoholic drinks laced with halcyon. Jane quickly lost consciousness and Carla called Paul in to tell him that his, quote, wedding gift was ready. I'm so disgusted by this. The the way that they treat these girls like they're pieces of property for Paul just to enjoy himself. I'm just, it's disgusting. Yeah. I got you this uh, hockey stick. Like, yes, you know, yeah, an inanimate object. Yeah. What the fuck? So Paul then videotaped Carla sexually assaulting the passed out teen before he then raped her himself. The next morning, Jane woke up nauseated and thought it was just from the drink, and she had no idea that she'd been assaulted. In August, after their wedding, they had Jane Doe come over to spend the night. Again, they drugged her. This time, though, while Paul was raping the unconscious teen, she stopped breathing. Carla quickly called 911, and an ambulance was dispatched. A few minutes later, though, Carla called back and said everything was okay, and the ambulance was called back. They had managed to get Jane breathing again. Mm-mm. Is that, I again, I don't know protocol, but, like, I thought that, like, if you called, like, 911, that, like, the police have to show up, you know, once you, like, right, just like to if make it's sure, in right? route. Yeah. I'm not sure. So, I mean, that. I don't know how it works with ambulances, but, because, again, it's, like, if the ambulance had shown up, right, and there's another report, like, is that going to have somebody look at this and be like, why is there another teen, right, who's unconscious around them? Right. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just, there's so many things. So Jane took horseback riding lessons and at a certain point must have confided in her instructor about the nature of her relationship with the Bernardos. The instructor told her mom, who then confronted Jane. And when asked, Jane told her mom that Paul just touched her breast. Later that day, Paul called Jane upset because her mom had confronted him. He was upset that she didn't tell her mom that it was her own idea. Around Christmas of 1992, Jane told Paul that she wasn't interested in having sex with him anymore and, quote, he got angry and said he didn't want to see me again. He said I was worthless and that I didn't deserve to live. He picked up a picture frame with a picture of Jane in it and threw it across the room and took Carla upstairs to their room. Jane said that she called her mom and waited 45 minutes for her to come get her. The whole time, Paul just stood on the top of the stairs staring daggers at her. That has got to be... Terrifying. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, if not terrifying, which it totally was, I guarantee it, it's just incredibly uncomfortable. Like, for mm-hmm. 45 minutes, really? Yeah, exactly. During the trial, Jane's mom, identified as Mary Doe, said that she was terrified of what Paul would do when she confronted him about what the instructor said. When she went to talk to him, she clutched her keys between her fingers, ready to hit him if he tried to attack her. As she left, Paul followed her out of the house and kept yelling and screaming at her as she drove away. Get your shit together, Paul. Mm -hmm. My God. So now we have to talk about yet another victim of theirs, unfortunately. And I say, unfortunately, not that I don't want to talk about her, but it's just so, uh, why? Why? Why did they do this? These innocent girls. So- Leslie Mahaffey was born on July 5th, 1976, and she was murdered when she was 14 years old and in the ninth grade. Her father was an oceanographer for the Canadian Federal Fisheries and Oceans Department and would sometimes be away from the family for weeks at a time, and her mother was a school teacher. 
Leslie was always close with her family and for the most part was a pretty easygoing child. As we've seen time and time again, though, when she hit her teenage years, she began to rebel a little. And she would spend days away from home, but she always called and told her family where she was. She was particularly close with her younger brother, so she made sure to try to talk to him regularly. In the days before her abduction, a couple of Leslie's friends were killed in a car accident. And the night before she was kidnapped, there was a memorial service for one of these friends, Chris Evans, with an impromptu get-together afterwards. And as a result of that, she ended up missing her Friday night curfew. Her parents, maybe just being tired of the coming and going and the rebelliousness, locked the door for the night. This is not the first time she's missed her curfew. Right. I think she was on thin ice at this point with her parents. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what an absolutely unfortunate, like, just situation. Right. And I cannot imagine the guilt that the the parents have felt after this. Because there's no reason to blame them. But after something like that, the the unfortunate situation that happened, of course, you know, it's like, how could you not? You're like, oh, if I just left the door unlocked or if I'd let her in, you know? Exactly. But it's not their fault, but oh, it's just Mm. awful. So it was around 2 a.m. and Leslie got home. Some of her friends who were also at the party walked with her and they said their goodbyes and they waited for Leslie to go into the side door, but it was locked. And she told them that the front door would be unlocked and sent them on their way. And they left and she discovered that the front door was also locked. So Leslie went to a convenience store that was close by and called a friend to see if she could stay the night, but the friend said no. They talked around until around 2.30 a.m. when Leslie told the friend that she would go home and wake her mom up to get in. But Leslie didn't know that Paul was in the neighborhood that night as well to steal license plates, according to him. Okay, Paul. <laughs> right. So okay, I just Paul. like to bird watch, night bird watching. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, have, I have raped like, uh, I don't know, 20 people at this point, but that's right. actually not why I'm here. No. Totally different reason. Exactly. No. That part of his life is behind him. Yeah, exactly. He's married now. So Paul said that he was in the street when he saw Leslie walking alone and he told her that he was breaking into the house next to hers and offered her a cigarette, which said, he said he was in in his car. I don't know why that should make her feel better. I'm just breaking (laughs) into the house next to yours. No big deal. Yeah, exactly. Hey, don't worry about me. Just break it. I'm not breaking into your house though. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes me feel safe. Oh, if if that's the problem, that's not what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. So they went towards his car and as Leslie got close, he grabbed a sweatshirt and quickly wrapped it around her head and then forced her into his car. Carla actually wasn't present when Leslie was kidnapped, but when she was questioned about it, she said that Paul used a knife to get her into the car, not the sweatshirt around the face. The next day at Chris Evans' funeral, Leslie never showed up. Her mother called the police and told them that she was missing. And on June 18th, she filed a police report to have her daughter arrested as a runaway. For 24 hours, Paul and Carla both sexually assaulted and raped Leslie, videotaping everything. They kept her blindfolded. They listened to Bob Marley and David Bowie while they did it. And when they weren't abusing her, they gave her a teddy bear to hug. Hmm. Carla kept Leslie drugged up like she had done with Tammy before. And at one point, Paul said, quote, you're doing a good job, Leslie, a damn good job. The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. Gross. I hate him. God. Later, Leslie told Paul that her blindfold was slipping, which to Paul and Carla indicated that she could identify them. So Carla and Paul each say to that the other killed Leslie, and Paul said that Carla gave her a lethal dose of halcyon. Carla said that Paul strangled her with an electrical cord. After her death, they moved her body to the basement. They had invited Carla's family over to celebrate Father's Day and couldn't have 
They didn't want a dead body in the middle of the room while they're celebrating Father's Day. That might cause some questions. I would think at the very least, sure. Yeah. So. Can't really explain that away. So, of course, they had to move her to the basement, right? Yeah. And during the dinner, Carla had to keep her mother from going into the basement several times. Yeah, apparently they, you know, they, they kept a lot of stuff in the basement. So her mom would be like, oh, okay, I'll just run down to the basement and grab that for you. And they're like, no, 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 don't go down there. Yeah, that's not suspicious at all, right? Exactly. After the dinner, when the family left, the couple decided that the best way to get rid of the body was to dismember her and put each part in, a cem- in cement and then toss it into the lake. Paul used a circular saw to dismember Leslie and had gone to the local hardware store and bought a dozen bags of cement. And he kept the receipts, which were all used against him during his trial. Why would you keep those? Well, what if I have to return one of them? What if I bought one too many? Well, exactly. And you also want to file that. Make sure that you have all of those receipts. File it under C for cement. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What a fucking idiot. Thank God, yeah. though. Exactly. They mixed the cement, placed each body part in its own block. They went to transfer the blocks to nearby Lake Gibson. But they didn't know that at a certain point, the lake is extremely low every year and the blocks would be easily seen. And, like, Carla's from there. They're in St. Catharines. Like, yeah. she's lived there forever. And they were like, they thought that it had to have been somebody that didn't live near there because they were like, what fucking idiot that lives here doesn't know that the water gets this low? Right. <laughs> Paul and Carla, that's who. And unfortunately, apparently that's, you know, it, it wouldn't have, I mean, I don't know that that alone would have been like, it's Carla with the, you know, but yeah. yeah. So on June 29th, 1991, which actually was Paul and Carla's wedding day, Michael Cousette and his son, Michael Jr. were out in kayaks fishing when they came upon the blocks. One had been cracked open, exposing what was inside, and they called authorities, and Leslie's remains were recovered. Leslie had braces, which were used to identify her body. And, like, the even more sick and twisted thing about this, like, she was found on their wedding day, but people who went to the wedding were like, we remember having the news on, like, you know, in some room at the reception or whatever, and like watching as they're like pulling these cement blocks. Hmm. And like Paul and Carla were watching the news coverage too. It's their wedding day. And they did the, I mean, it's, yeah. Okay. We will move on to Kristen French. Kristen French was born on May 10th, 1976. She was 15 years old when she was murdered by Carla and Paul. She was a member of the Precision Ice Skating Team and won several medals. She was also a member of the girls' rowing team for Holy Cross Catholic Secondary School, which she attended. On April 16, 1992, Kristen was walking home after school. As she was walking by the parking lot of Grace Lutheran Church, she was approached by a vehicle with two people in it. They asked if she could give them directions, and when she approached the car, Carla had stepped out with a map in her hand. And when Kristen goes to look down at the map, Paul comes up behind her with a knife and forced her into the car. Carla got in the back seat and grabbed handfuls of Kristen's hair to try to keep her restrained in the car while Paul drove away. This occurred during the day, and although it wasn't a busy street and there were few people around, there were witnesses. Kristen generally took the same route home every day and was usually home about 15 minutes after school let out. When she didn't arrive, her parents immediately suspected that something was wrong and they called the police. The Niagara Regional Police Service, NRP, immediately formed a team and searched her route home. They spoke to several people who witnessed the abduction. Over Easter weekend, 
Paul and Carla filmed themselves torturing, raping, and sodomizing Kristen. They never made her wear a blindfold, something the prosecution would say indicated that they planned on killing her from the beginning. They forced her to drink large amounts of alcohol. They held her for three days before killing her. They were supposed to be at Carla's family home for Easter dinner, so they decided to kill Kristen before going. You know. Yeah. Again, Carla said that Paul strangled Kristen while she watched. Paul said that Carla beat Kristen with a rubber mallet when she tried to escape. But the thing is, when Carla goes to the police and she's telling them about Paul and killing these two girls, she says, it was Easter weekend and we had to go to my family's house. Mm -hmm. So I knew we had to get rid of her, basically. Right. Like, she says as much, you know, that she initiated okay, well, it's time to kill her now because we've got places to go. Because she said, how's it going to look if this girl has gone missing this weekend and we don't have an alibi? We've been holed up in our house and we haven't seen anyone. Right. If we don't get out of the house and go to my family's house, we have no alibi. Yeah. I mean, she definitely, she does say that. And Paul apparently said that he had no intentions of killing any of the girls. He wanted to let them go. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, but Carla does say when she talks to the police, in so many words, that she told Paul, it's time to kill her. Yeah. Because yeah. we've got to set up our alibi. Mm-hmm. But let's give her a, let's give her a deal. <laughs> Kristen's body was found on April 30th in a ditch about 45 minutes from St. Catherine's. Her body had been washed and her hair cut off. Carla said they cut her hair to slow down the identification process. Okay. Did you know, Carla, that in order to identify a body, because nothing else was nothing else was done. They just cut her hair. Right. Right. So like, well, we gave her a bob. How did you guys find out it was her? Yeah, exactly. Like um, her parents actually know what she looks like. I don't know. If- yeah. And I'm sure they've seen her in multiple different stages of hair. Mm-hmm. Sure. Even with her hair up. It's just the dumbest thing ever. They are blubbering idiots. Like I just <laughs> cannot with them. And again, thank God. Right? Yes. Yes. Thank God. Ugh. In December of 1992, the Center of Forensic Sciences finally got to the DNA samples that Paul had provided when he was interviewed in the Scarborough Rapist investigation. In late December, Paul and Carla had gotten into a huge fight, like a knockdown drag out fight in which he beat her with a flashlight all over her arms, legs, and body. She told coworkers that she was in a car accident when she returned to work in January of 1993, but nobody believed her. And so they called her parents who came and, quote, rescued her the next day by removing her from their home. When they had gotten her out of the house, it said that she frantically went back in and searched around for something, but was never able to find what she was looking for. Hmm. Her family took her to the hospital where she was questioned by the NRP and uh, charges were brought up against Paul. He was arrested and later released on recognizance. And after his release, Paul wrote a suicide note and was going to try to kill himself, but a friend found the note and stopped him. Carla moved in with her aunt and uncle in another town. And while living with them, she told them that Paul was the Scarborough rapist and that they were involved with Leslie and Kristen's murders. 26 months after it was given, Paul Bernardo's DNA came back and matched the Scarborough rapist. And he was immediately placed under 24-hour surveillance. At the same- Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, no. We've got a direct match to multiple rapes. Multiple. Why was he just placed under 24 Let's watch him. Let's see what he does. Right. 
Yeah, why are we not arresting him right away? No idea. I also, okay, so, I mean, you guys know, uh, kind of the impetus of us going ahead and covering this case right now is because of the new docuseries that was just released on this case. The Is it just called The Ken and Barbie Killers? It's called Ken and, yes, Ken and Barbie Killings, Ken and Barbie Killers, something like that. Yeah, it's on, what, ID? I watched it on Hulu. It is on ID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a four-part series. There is a guy that they talk to who's a law professor. I don't remember his name. Um, he and we you do in the thing see some footage of him from like back in the day when the trial was happening and and he would like, you know, talk to news anchors and stuff, I guess, because he attended the trial. Mm-hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. I love him. I was gonna say he's my favorite. He is my favorite. He is like he has got a fire lit under him. I mean, he's just like so fucking pissed about this case. Mm-hmm. But when he talks about that it took 26 fucking months to get his DNA to come back, he was like, that is unacceptable. You know, and then they talked to the police and the police are like, you know, like we said in the last episode, there was only one qualified person. I know it was early, but he's just like, you have the amount of people that they had telling them Paul Bernardo is your rapist. Mm-hmm. And that they didn't and they didn't rush his DNA test or, you know, put it in front of other people. I don't know. He was just like, what the fuck is happening? He was so mad. Yeah. And rightly so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I feel like in watching that thing, like in, um, you know, like around the trial and stuff, when people would like crowd the like police officers around to be like, hello, hey, please don't crowd me. Please right, don't crowd right, us. Right. Please step back and like, you know, here it's like, get out of the like whatever (laughs) like everybody's so nice in Canada and this guy is like I've fucking had it up to here (laughs) he's so mad his given damn was busted yes I love him yes no he's great so at the same time that he's being placed under 24-hour surveillance Carla spoke with authorities about everything the couple did and she implicated Paul every which way that she could she said she was a battered wife who feared for her life, only went along with it because Paul would have killed her. And that's what she focused on when they told her, asked her anything related to the case. And she always found a way to bring it back to like this, you know, this was all him and I'm also a victim and I didn't do anything wrong here. Yeah. On February 17th, 1993, Paul was arrested on several charges and authorities obtained a search warrant and the police knew of the tape's existence and wanted to find them. But in this case, they were taking Carla's word that they were in the house. The warrant they got was limited because Paul's link to the murders was only Carla's story. So specifically, it said that any tapes found to be had to be watched on site in the house before they could be taken in as evidence. Hmm. Guys, they searched this house for 71 days. And the only tape that they took out was the one that had a brief segment of Carla performing oral sex on Jane Doe. Okay. So how was that? Okay, just, okay. But we're not going to do anything with that tape. Right. Don't worry about that. I mean, who cares, right? I mean, yeah, it's so ludicrous. But anyway, okay. On May 5th, Carla was offered a plea deal. And originally her lawyer argued that she should receive immunity. But prosecutors said, I couldn't even get it out without laughing. Yeah. But prosecutors said that given her involvement in the crimes, that wasn't going to happen. They offered her 12 years, five years each for Kristen and Leslie's murders, and only two for Tammy's murder. Five years 
for a murder and two years for the murder of her own sister. Yep. 12 years. 12 years total. The NRP had reopened their investigation into Tammy's death after Carla told them that Paul was responsible. Carla accepted the deal. If I can say one thing about Carla, it's that her IQ helped her in this because it was smart of her to take the deal. Now, yeah. it was the dumbest thing in the history of ever, but they mm-hmm. gave her a fucking deal in the first place, but... Well, exactly. You know she looked at that and was like, are you fucking kidding me? I did it. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, did it. Yeah. She got away with murder. She did. 100% she did. Mm-hmm. A serial killer. Right. Oh, yes. <sighs> so she would be eligible for parole in only two years. She began to tell them everything she knew about Paul, including that he boasted to her about raping over 30 women. Leading up to his trial, Paul had hired a defense attorney and after hiring him, told him about the tapes the police were looking for that were in the house in the bathroom vent. Yeah. His attorney went to the house and removed the tapes and held on to them for 17 months without telling prosecutors. Okay. Okay. Here's my question. All right. So he says he held on to them because he wanted to use them to impeach Carla at the trial, Mm -hmm. that he wanted to show who she, quote, really was and blah, 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 and that it was going to totally blow the prosecution's case out of the water. Okay. Giving the tapes to the prosecution before the trial would have done the same motherfucking thing. Right. And what it would have done was actually have Carla be held responsible for what she did rather than exactly basically let her get off scot-free. Yeah. They would have tried Carla for the same crimes as Paul rather than giving her the deal. They never should have given her that deal. First of all, why in the world would you look at somebody and be like, well, fucking Carla says so. So I guess it's true. I know. know. We're going to base our whole case around Carla's story. Mm-hmm. Our whole case hinges on Carla's story. We have no evidence to back it up whatsoever. Right. But even if you are going to do that, which again is absolutely fucking asinine, uh, this lawyer, like, in what world is it appropriate to hold on to this shit like that? Your purpose would have been achieved. Their case would have gone away mm-hmm. in the way that you wanted it to because the only way you wanted it to go away... With or without the tapes, they know Paul's involved. Right. So you're fucked there. But with the tapes, they know that Carla is not this battered wife. So at least she would have shouldered probably some of the burden. It probably would have worked out for Paul better because there would have been confusion in the jury. Well, who do I char? Or like, you know, how do we render a verdict when we don't really know which one did what? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I mean, yeah, no, I'm so mad. Of course you are. And you should, all of us are mad. I know that. We should be mad because this is fucking ridiculous and it's, it's awful. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't do anything about it, but shouldn't that be like, I don't even, shouldn't that throw out the plea deal? Exactly. Exactly. Because how many times have we heard somebody be interrogated or whatever, and they've been offered some kind of a plea deal or immunity or whatever. And you hear the interrogators over and over. If I find out that you lied to me, the whole fucking deal is off. Right. You lose everything if I find out you lied to me. Right. I mean, people get brand new trials just because new evidence is being admitted or prosecutorial misconduct or something. Yeah. Why doesn't any of that apply here? Yeah. And people do lose deals when yeah. 
when it's found out that their stories cannot be corroborated. So yes, when they have why, perjured themselves. It's yeah. Just, so why is it that when we find out that Carla is just as much involved as Paul is, that we can't change that deal? Because the original deal no longer stands. Right. It Her story wasn't true. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. It's like, well, we, sh- we shook on it. We spit in our hands and shook on it. So that's, I mean, done deal. I know. Well, I said so. Like, I promised. So. Yeah. What the fuck? So after the tapes were eventually turned over to the prosecution, they said that if they had seen them, Carla would have never been offered a plea deal and that she would be right beside Paul in the box on trial. No shit. Yeah. No shit. Let's make that happen. Let's do it now. Yeah. But as it stands, a legal deal was struck and they couldn't go back on it. So Paul's lawyer was removed and replaced and was charged with obstruction of justice, which he was later acquitted of. That's fucked up too. Yeah. So many people are getting away with fucking murder here. Well, I know. And- like, again, until people in the justice system are actually prosecuted for misconduct during trials, you know, whether it be prosecutorial, this is on the defense side, but still, right. until we start prosecuting people in the justice system, it's just gonna keep happening. We are giving people slaps on the wrist and then they get to retire and just live their best lives in retirement, collecting their pension. Mm -hmm. And, you know, meanwhile, Ryan Waller was interrogated for four hours with a bullet in his fucking brain. Mm. Like, (sighs) yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Even though this was defensicutorial misconduct. (laughs) No, I really... (laughs) I think it should be. How many messages do you think we'll get? I know. I know. (laughs) I know it's not called defense tutorial. (laughs) I just thought it would be. I love that though. It is now. That's what it should be. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) In bird law, it is. Okay. And that's what we're fluent in. So everybody should know that now. Yeah. We've talked about it before, but we haven't talked about it in a while. Yeah. Defense, defense, (laughs) tutorial. I have a tongue twister. But anyway. So Carla testified at Paul's trial, again, playing up the battered wife angle. And Paul testified that Carla was the one responsible. So it's like, no, you did it. No, you did it. No, you did it. Yeah. But he started it. Exactly. The tapes that were found in the bathroom were played for the jury and the media attempted to get these tapes released, but the publica- a publication ban was placed into effect. Thank God. Because I don't think anybody, nobody should be seeing these tapes. Absolutely not. I mean, fuck off media. Come on. Like- I'm sure that there is curiosity, you know, for some people, like, I wonder what's on there. There is nothing, nothing in any of us that needs to see any of that. Well, Just yeah. absolutely nothing. And the entitlement that you deserve to see them, that's not, that should not happen because, I mean, the the women, I can't even say women because they were children on mm-hmm. these tapes. That is not your right to see. No, it's absolutely not. It's absolutely not. Fucking Yeah. So the publication ban was only in effect in Canada, though, and the close proximity to the U.S. meant that U.S. reporters could report any details, which meant, or which would be available to anyone on a newfangled invention called the internet. Thank you, Al Gore. (laughs) I think I'm every day for the internet. Mm, Me too. On September 1st, 1995, Paul Bernardo was convicted of several offenses, including two counts of first-degree murder and aggravated sexual assaults in the murders of Leslie and Kristen. He was sentenced to life in prison, eligible for parole in 25 years. He was also designated as a, quote, dangerous offender, which in Canada, England, and Wales means he's a huge threat to public safety and will never get out of prison. 
While in prison, Paul is kept in segregation, but prisoners have still managed to get to him. And once he was attacked and punched when he returned from the shower. Another time, five convicts tried to storm the segregation area and get him, but were subdued with tear gas. In November of 2005, Paul's lawyer forwarded information to authorities that Paul had admitted to another 10 sexual assaults. I actually really love Paul's lawyer. I do too. He's, I, thank God they took the other guy off. I know, right? Like, because, okay, so in the thing, like you see footage of Paul's lawyer from like, you know, in the 90s and then he sits down for an interview and I was like, oh, he's here. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I was really surprised that he is sitting for this interview or whatever, but I did not expect to like him as much as I did. But he he seems, based on this case, mm-hmm. like a very ethical person. I think so too. You know, he's like, you know, Paul is my client and I'm going to do what I can, you know, but he's like, (laughs) I mean, we have the tapes, you know, we know that he did all this stuff. Like, you know, I'll try to maybe just be like, well, we don't know that he necessarily killed them, but he knew what all was going on. I think he, he would have turned everything over. Like he just seemed very ethical to me. Yes, I agree. Paul was eligible for parole in February of 2018 and was denied both day and full parole in October of 2018. He applied again in June of 2021. And after only an hour of deliberation, the judge denied his parole again. Why not just let him out? I know, right? Fucking let him out. Who cares? Why not? Yeah, he served his time. He didn't mean to do it, obviously. Yeah. Ugh. Torella, you go ahead. I want to hear what happened to Carla. Okay. Carla Hamolka served her 12 years. I mean, I guess at least thank God they didn't let her out after two. Right. She was quietly released and attempted to hide from the public. She attempted to change her name to Emily Shiara Tremblay, since Tremblay is an extremely common name in Quebec. Quebec. Ooh, good fishing's good in Quebec. Good fishing up in Quebec. The request was rejected. Carla married the brother of her attempt, nope, of her defense attorney, her attempts to Fernie. I don't know how to say his first name. Is it just Terry? Thierry? I don't know. Thierry? I don't know. Sorry, I'm not French. Bordelais. They have three children and at one point moved from Canada to the Antilles. In 2016, they were said to have been living back in Quebec, where her children attended school and Hamolka helped out with school functions. Love it. Can you fucking imagine? Now, once the parents found out who she was, they flipped their ever-loving shit and started posting flyers that were like, there's a serial murderer at your fucking PTA meetings. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so Carla, even with her plea deal that she at least contributed to three murders and certainly took part in many sexual assaults, yeah, she was never, ever designated a dangerous offender. She's not a sex offender. No, she does not have to register anywhere that she is. So she just goes completely under the radar. Nobody knows unless you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. She And of course, she's, you know, dyed her hair dark in the footage where people like saw her at her kid's school, which I don't think that her children should be filmed. Like, it's not their fault. They are innocent. I am terrified for any child that comes to spend the night at her house. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm honestly terrified for her children all by itself because look what she did with, to her sister. Exactly, exactly. I cannot believe this, that like she can just float off into oblivion after everything that she did and knowing full well the, they're like, I just, she took part in enough stuff. How can we not charge her 
with anything else, just to at least label her as a as a dangerous offender. I mean, I don't know. I guess there are statutes of limitation on rape, which that's a whole other thing. Ugh. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just so fucking pissed. But she looks horrific. Mm-hmm. Like her Barbie days where her hair was bigger than hell and like, you know, fluffy, basically. Yeah, the big old bangs. And yeah, and like Aquanet and all the stuff. Like she peaked there. I mean, that was like her look. She looked okay then, but like now with like dark hair and it's all straight and like whatever, just her facial features are not good. She hasn't aged well. And I think that stress hopefully has taken an effect on her. Yeah. Yeah. She's just disgusting. Mm -hmm. I feel so horrible for her children. I do too. You know, because at this point, you know, they know. They have to. I mean, why Why are cameras following us around all the time? Yeah. And if they just did a quick, if they know her actual name. Mm-hmm. Then not even, if they know her, if they know the name that she's going by. That's, yeah, because people out. have linked them. Yeah, and yeah. like, mom, why are there flyers at school saying that you're a serial murderer? Yeah, why are people confronting you whenever you come to our school? How come I'm not allowed to go over to any of my friends' houses anymore? And how come they're not allowed to come to our house anymore? Absolutely, yep. It's poor kids. Mm-hmm. After having seen the tapes, the prosecutors said they had made, quote, a deal with the devil when referring to the plea agreement. And again, all I have to say to that is no shit. Yeah, no fucking shit. Hope you're happy, prosecutors. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, Marie Callenders. <laughs> God. Well, that's all horrific, but we will end on, I don't want to say a, a lighter note, but just a weirder note, maybe a weird note. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. Apparently, Paul Bernardo believes that he's a rapper or did at one time. He was a huge fan of Vanilla Ice, who wasn't, and went as far as to construct a recording studio in their home. He was going to title his first album Deadly Innocence. Mark writes, it is truly awful. Here are some lyrics. Carla, please rap them. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm definitely going to have to read them like I'm at a poetry reading. Yeah, it's going to be spoken word. Here we go. Yeah. You think I'm innocent, but behind this, I'm packing a lot of deadliness. So come at me. Come at me. I got a fucking nice face. Look like a pretty boy. Why don't you come at me, man? Take your best shot. See what happens to you, pal. You're out of here, man. You come at me with your beer belly. You think you're really tough. I come back looking like a 13-year-old. I'll kick your ass. I'll kill your parents. I'll shoot your girlfriend and fuck your wife. That's me. Deadly innocence. Mm. (laughs) No snaps. We should not snap for that. (laughs) What is this? You come at me with your beer belly, but I look like a 13-year-old? That's gross. What does that even mean? Is that supposed to be tough? Like, I don't... I got a fucking nice face. Look like a pretty boy. (laughs) See what happens to you, pal. That doesn't sound tough. If like I'm in an altercation with somebody and they're like, all right, all right, come on and see what happens, pal. I'd be like, <laughs> I can make you cry using just my words, I think. Uh, like, yeah, probably. Oh my God. And I've never even been in a fight, but I'll I'll kick your lily ass. Exactly, bass. Yeah. Like what pal. the fuck? Deadly innocence. Okay. What does that even mean? Okay, Paul. <laughs> I hope he looks back on this. Specifically this, and is truly embarrassed at himself. I think that he should feel terrible about everything that he did. But I do hope that this is one thing that he remembers. This is is reason enough to get fucking shanked in prison, I think. 
It's reason enough to be put away for life. Why would you write something like this? Take your best shot, pal. Beer belly having <laughs> man. Come on, guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. What a dweeb. Yeah, total dweeb. Yuck. Oof. Anyway, that's right. the that's the complete pile of garbage dumpster fire that is Paul Bernardo and Carlo Homoka. Yep. Hate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pieces of shit, these ones, eh? Yeah. Yuck. Yep. Well, that's it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, you guys, we've got some shout outs. Woo, 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 woo. Yeah. Cure the fireworks. We do have a bunch of Hey Girl thanks to our newest patrons. Hey Girl Yay. thanks to Casey Noel, Noel, Rindy Hornset, Courtney Martin, Heather Baldry, Matilda, and it looks like our computer thing put a bunch of symbols in the last name, so I'm so sorry, but Matilda. Cute way to spell it, too. I know, I love it. Taylor Wolf, Abby Walker, Rebecca Picker, Kayla Lewis, Anna Rose, Keely, Daisy Hendricks, Sierra Phillips, Caitlin Warden, Heidi Benzer, Morgan McCarty, Stephanie Perez Rodriguez, Ashley Raish, Kate Quinn, Katie Novak Wilson, Sherry Jane, Kathleen Meldrum, Julie R, Marissa Jodoin, Sarah, and Amika. Oh my gosh, you guys, we love you so much. Yes, thank you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 